Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we launched during this work-from-home period with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we're really trying to do during these SALT Talks is replicate the type of experience that we provide at our global conferences, the SALT Conference. And what we're trying to do is provide a window into the minds of subject matter experts, as well as to provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And today, we're thrilled to welcome you to the first episode of our Pandemic Venture Investment Series, which is being presented in partnership with our crowd, a leading global venture investment platform. In this series, we're bringing top entrepreneurs, investors, business leaders together for deep dives into the challenges and opportunities arising from the pandemic crisis. Today's episode, Investing in the Pandemic and the New Normal, features Steve Kraus, managing partner of U.S. Venture Partners, and Alec Ellison, the chairman of Our Crowd U.S., with an introduction by John Medved, the chief executive officer of Our Crowd, who joined Anthony yesterday for a SALT talk as well. Just a reminder, if you have any questions during today's talk, you can enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen. And now I'm going to turn it over to John Medved again to provide a more detailed introduction into the series and today's talk. Thank you, John. It's great to be here uh, with the SALT Talks. This is a, a very, I think, important beginning of a new series called the Pandemic Venture Investment Series. Uh, we are attempting here to cover a broad range of topics about the investment opportunities represented by the crisis that we're all living through. Um, and it's both uh, focused on medical issues and, and ways that we can combat the pandemic directly, but also what we call the new normal. So there will be sessions in the coming weeks, once a week, about mobility, about artificial intelligence, about ag tech, uh, and about uh, a, a variety of other great topics. So please come back and see us. Just a few words of introduction about our crowd. Our crowd is the world's largest venture investment platform. We're managing uh, close to a billion and a half of commitments. Uh, we've made over 220 individual company portfolio investments where you, as an accredited investor, can actually choose which one you would like to join us with. Each of these investments are curated by the R Crowd investment team. We invest our own capital, and then we set terms, sit on boards, and open these investments to our crowd. We also offer, at the moment, 22 different venture funds. And today, we're proud to start off this series by featuring one of our investments in the spectacular fund known as U.S. Venture Partners out of Silicon Valley. We were fortunate enough to be a limited partner in U.S. VP number 12, and we're welcoming today my good friend, full disclosure, we went to high school together, uh, Steve Krause, who's uh, the general partner, managing partner at uh, USVP. Steve has been there literally since I think four years after the fund started, 1985. So about 35 years of venture experience. The fund, USVP, has invested uh, primarily in Silicon Valley, but also very, very strongly in Israel. And they include in their uh, portfolio great companies such as Checkpoint, Box, GoPro, Mellanox, 
uh, uh, Trusteer, Imperva, you can go on and on. It's a great team of people who we're close to. I also, another full disclosure, I think my first big venture capital investment uh, almost uh, 30 years ago was done together with them in a company called CompuGen, which became a billion dollar uh, company in bioinformatics. And uh, we're big fans of US venture partners. To interview uh, Steve Krauss and to get his unique perspective, uh, we're joined today by my partner and also very good friend, Alec Ellison. Alec is the chairman of our crowd in the United States. He has a very rich decades long background where he was the president of Broadview International. Broadview was perhaps in the day, the leading investment bank focusing on technology companies. That's where I met him the first time. He traveled to Israel, did more transactions in Israel, frankly, than any local Israeli investment banker. Broadview was later acquired by Jefferies, where Alec then became the vice chairman and the head of their technology investment banking group. And today, as I mentioned, he is the US chairman of our crowd and a big part of our recent success. So I'm gonna turn it over to you, Alec, to talk to my good friend, Steve, and I think the uh, viewers will are in for a treat today. Thank you. Thanks very much, John and, and Steve. It's really a pleasure to uh, be able to have this discussion with you this morning. And uh, again, welcome to all of our participants. So Steve, let's jump into it. We're approaching eight months into this, uh, into this pandemic. Uh, you've been around long enough, as John says, to have lived through quite a few crises. Uh, even before that, I guess crash of 87 was probably the first one you went through. What do you perceive as different about this crisis from the perspective of being a venture investor? Well, thank you very much. And I, I really appreciate the introduction and the kind words, uh, Alex and, 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 and John. And, um, you know, the, um, the difference here, and it's a dramatic difference, is that the venture community now is a very global community. It has a uh, footprint that spans, you know, all of the continents. At the time when I entered the venture industry, and it very much was a cottage industry then, you could probably fit all of the VC firms into into one room. Uh, and in '87, it it was a uh, an industry that had a, a few tens of billions of dollars invested overall. Uh, and that uh, that what what happened then and what happened again in uh, 2000 and then again in 2008 were really a fundamental you know crisis of liquidity in both our industry as well as in the public markets. So uh, what is certainly different now is the industry spans all uh, geographies. And it also has sources of capital that it didn't have uh, in the past. It also has a, um, you know, a group of individuals that are highly diverse. And, uh, but what still remains true is that the you know, crises like these really shake the industry to its core and prove to be a real test of, of the teams that, that we invest in. Um, what I would say is going to be different uh, this time is that fundamentally the structure of work and the structure of the kinds of industries, the supply chain, how people think about uh, their investments uh, in, in terms of the broad diversity is going to be very, very different. In past crises, uh, most of us burrowed down and tried to extend 
uh, the life of, of the capital that we had invested. But we didn't change strategies dramatically. This time, I think the strategies are changing quite a bit. But as you point out, uh, some of our best investments have come out of these periods of, uh, of extreme stress in the markets. As a matter of fact, one of my very first public companies, a search company uh, called Verity, uh, we invested in just after the 87 crash. Uh, and then in two, in, after the 2000 crash, uh, we invested in, in Perva and Guidewire, which became two public companies. Uh, and after the two, during the 2008-2009 period, we invested in Trustier and Box. So those were you know, really opportunities uh, uh, coming out of those kinds of crises. But this one, this, this one will be different because of the importance of the venture uh, capital. Well, so, so, so picking up on some of the opportunities you had in the past, you know, largely those were financial crises, um, yes. crisis of liquidity, as you said. Uh, we almost had a financial crisis here in March, uh, which was um, very scary, very, very rapid. Uh, seems to have been, at least uh, for now, um, uh, put on hold. And, and, and frankly, the recovery, I think, has surprised uh, many in terms of the public equity markets. Uh, but it feels like this time we're dealing with a shift in the with the economy. Um, much has been made of the acceleration of digital transformation. I think it was back uh, six months ago, the end of April, where Satya Nadella said that we'd seen two years of digital acceleration in uh, or digital transformation in two months. A quarter later, he talked about technology resilience uh, or, or technology transformation being the key to business resilience. I uh, didn't have anything quite as quotable on his earnings call earlier this week. <laughs> do, do you think we've seen seven months of our eight months in the eight months, eight years of digital transformation? Or do you think it was more of a, a quick acceleration and now we're kind of back on uh, on on the old trajectory just a few years uh, a few years forward? Well, I think what's changed is the attitude of company management about how quickly they have to make their transformation to a, a, a more digital um, footprint across the globe. Um, so management teams are wrestling, and I was watching, I was listening at the JP Morgan Technology Conference yesterday where Jamie Dimon was talking about how you know, his organization has thought about um, how many people have to come to the office, you know, how it has to reach out to its customers, what consumers are gonna be doing differently. So that's a fundamental uh, shift. And I don't I think it, though, for the most part, at least to date, has been playing on trends other than the work from home that were already underway. And that has to do with, you know, uh, cloud, the transition to cloud, the transition to a digital economy as far as uh, financial services, uh, the change in logistics systems and uh, some of the changes that were already starting to to happen in, uh, in in healthcare, and we can talk about that a little bit more later. But I think that the impact of this transition, because venture and um, and technology plays a much more important role across the globe, this time will be fundamentally different from past changes, and um, the digitization of the world economy is going to be enormous. Now, I think what remains yet to play out. Quite frankly, and I just—I I don't think anyone appreciates this—is we were on a long-term path of improving economics 
for many people across the globe, uh, bringing many people out of poverty, uh, many people into the middle class in China and elsewhere in Asia. Uh, Africa was improving. I think we have seen a fundamental uh, jolt to those economies. And I don't think yet we have a prediction uh, on how that's going to play out. I think it's going to, whatever, whatever trends we started will be accelerated. Though that I know. Yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're getting at is a lot of the so-called COVID casualties, hospitality, uh, travel. Some of these are very people intensive types of businesses um, who were, and these are in many cases, whether it's in developed economies or developing economies, uh, a, more able to lift up masses um, than the uh, so-called pandemic plays, which tend to be highly knowledge intensive, everything from Zoom that we're on now to, to NVIDIA to to, uh, to the mega caps of Apple and others. Um, so, you know, as you think about your own portfolio, are you seeing any bifurcation yourselves in terms of COVID casualties and pandemic plays? We have. Um, I think that, you know, if you were to sort of look at it and make, you know, some broad sort of statements, um, anything that was related to accelerating the digitization of healthcare, uh, we've been we've been uh, participants in, in healthcare IT for um, quite a while, uh, but we have seen those companies do quite well. And uh, as the pandemic sort of reached us, uh, companies like Omada, which deals with um, uh, dealing with diabetes and uh, the management of treatment of diabetes from a technology point of view. Um, we've, we've seen anything related to online e-commerce primary, which allows uh, young parents, uh, you know, to, to buy clothing for their children in, in a fashion that's quite predictable. You know, that's exploded as people have, you know, left uh, stores and, and moved towards e-commerce for practically everything that they've done. Uh, and some of our enterprise software companies, quite frankly, uh, those are the ones, a few of them actually have struggled things in the ad tech space, uh, companies that are dealing more with traditional um, marketing automation kinds of, um, of, of plays and even even sales as the entire sales industry has. has Do you think it's because retailers or consumer companies have had less budget or more of a fundamental shift beyond well, that? I think it's part of it is because retailers have had less budget. I think another part of it is that the, the the way in which um, companies and enterprises have reached out to their customers and managed their sales forces has changed. You don't have a lot of salespeople in the field anymore. You don't have the same workflows that you once had where people had to travel uh, or, or the channels that you did marketing in or advertising in have changed dramatically. So while digitization will allow you to make those shifts quickly, uh, the near-term hit in, in terms of how these uh, budgets are spent and, and uh, how these tools are used has changed quite a bit. So that, those have really seen a, you know, seen a dramatic effect. Now, fortunately, you know, we, we haven't played in, in, in areas that have been uh, you know, particularly hit by you know, large capital budgets you know, going into, um, you know, into travel or into hospitality. So we've, we've, we've managed to avoid do, do you think you avoided was is that was that more luck or was an area you didn't really like that much beforehand for whatever reason? It was more of an area that we didn't feel matched up with our skill set. As a firm, we've always 
believe that the partners and general partners at the firm should uh, understand the industries that they're investing in very well, where they have sort of deep uh, and you know networks that they can pull experience executives out of and, and, and people out of. And so that wasn't an area that uh, that we understood well. Having said that, years ago, just to show you how venture firms change over time, we did a lot of physical retail stores. I mean, we were starters of Ross stores and Jim. Of course, Ross. yeah, yeah. We 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 had you know a Via Running Shoes. We had a terrific uh, uh, franchise. We moved that to e-commerce, uh, but you know it, it really um, it really has changed over time. And I think every venture firm you know has to have that kind of transition as, as the world around it changes. Speaking with enterprise software for a minute, where you said there has been occasionally some, some struggling. Now, enterprise software is about as sticky as things uh, can be. Probably it's, in fact, the, the pandemic is showing that enterprise software, either whether it's a maintenance or a SaaS model, is probably stickier than your rent. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to pay that fee to keep your company up, and you are glad to and not have to pay the rent. We've all learned that now. Um, so, you know, a little surprised to hear that the enterprise software companies are struggling. Is it more that they're struggling to grow as opposed to maintain their customers and that growth requires some face-to-face um, uh, selling and that's what's uh, what's slowing the growth? Or is there something uh, different at work? And now, let me be clear. It's only in specific areas. And, and, and what I said is it's the ones that had served uh, channels that directly went after uh, sales as traditionally done, or um, the distribution of marketing dollars as traditionally okay. done, and and I think that also what is happening there, as what's happening throughout technology, is uh, the winners uh, the winners are really winning, and uh, and whereas it used to be where you would have you know three or four, it used to be that you know the top company people would say top company you get fifty percent of the business, number two would get thirty percent, and uh, mm-hmm. if you were three or four, you might be able to survive, and everybody else was gone. It much more is winner take all, uh, and it's it's it, it it's I think the winners are going to take you know seventy or eighty percent of a market, and that's the challenge uh, because I think that um, there's a there's less opportunity sometimes, and and that's that's a challenge in the industry because there are so many uh, companies being started. Uh, so I, it, it is a winner take all economy right now, but it's also one in which innovation is happening all the all the time, so you can knock down. You know the big dogs in uh, in, in any sector. Uh, I won't say easily, but you can do it with great technology and great people. Let me stay with that for a minute. You can knock down the big dogs. A, a lot's happening uh, concurrently uh, of the uh, politically uh, questioning the dominance of the uh, the big five that now have half of the Nasdaq 100 market cap. Uh, all companies founded. 70s or later, you know, Apple being the, the youngest, I guess, Apple, Microsoft in the mid 70s, so Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera. Um, do you really believe that you've got companies in the Valley that can uh, challenge the, uh, uh, the Goliaths? Well, you know, there are a few names where their you know, size matters and brand matters to such an extent that I think that they're going to uh, they're going to last for a very long time. Um, you know, IBM had a run of about 100 years. I'm not making any predictions, you know, about Microsoft or or, or Amazon or, you know, some of the really big Goliaths as, as to how long that will happen. But I really do believe that innovation uh, has 
just a tremendous ability uh, to challenge some of the big Goliaths. I'm not, however, we are right now in a period where capital matters a lot and brand does matter a lot. Um, but, and these companies are still very young and the teams that are running them are still teams that started them to a large degree. I mean, look at, you know, look at Amazon, look at Salesforce. Uh, there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, having that kind of managerial expertise that's used to dramatic change. However, having said that, look at Snowflake. Uh, you know, uh, we're not investors in that company, unfortunately. I, uh, I, I know some of the board members well, terrific company. And, uh, you know, they have really changed and are challenging you know, some of the big dogs. I mean, you look at SAP recent, you know, their recent earnings report was very disappointing. Uh, I would never, uh, I would never. And Mark Benioff, Mark Benioff rushed out to say it's a different model. Don't, don't, uh, don't hit us. <laughs> <laughs> they are a different model, but they were, yeah, you know, they, they were certainly a, a very dominant player. And I think if anybody had looked back 10 years ago, uh, they, they, they wouldn't have seen or predicted that uh, there might be changes like that. Now, Again, a lot of it does go to leadership, and uh, you know, I think when McDermott left there, uh, it made it made a big difference. Let's mm-hmm. go back to healthcare for a minute. Um, have you changed your allocation to that sector over the last uh, so, six months? This is this is interesting. We 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 have, and we have always been, unlike many venture firms, uh, we have always been a participant in healthcare. Uh, and we have always been a participant in, um, in biopharmaceuticals as well as devices. And the, the ratio in the past was roughly 80-20. And over the last few years, because of the expertise of our part, you know, my partner, John Root and, and, and Casey Tansy, and, and uh, you know, John is, a, is an MD and a neurologist. He understands the changes going on in, in pharmaceutical industry quite well, and, and Casey was a former CEO, uh, but also what's going on in the economy with regard to digital digital health and um, the ever-increasing change in the entire way that the U.S. healthcare system is, is both paying and delivering healthcare. So we're we're probably more like, a, you know, 70-30, uh, 65-35, depends on how you describe the health. The, the, health, the health being the 30 with, or the 30. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry for not being clear <laughs> on that. With the with the healthcare and the healthcare IT side of it uh, increasing quite a bit. So um, you know, it's um, I think it's going to be an area since it's in the upper 20s as a percentage of the U.S. you know GDP uh, predicted over time with the aging of the population, but also with the um, the, the 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 further involvement of people in their in their own health management, and we're investing in that area, um, you know, quite successfully. And uh, we've we've made a few investments there. Any any specific ones you've made in the last uh, six eight months that you want to flag? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that um, if you my one of my partners, uh, Dafina Toncheva, invested in a company called Optima Optimize, which does remote patient monitoring. Uh, and we think that that's going to be an area because of all the devices that we're wearing, excuse me, for, be, be because of the, you know, the automation of, of healthcare records and also because of the involvement of, uh, you know, people in their, in their own health management, remotely managing 
uh, healthcare, I think, is, is, is going to be a major trend in the healthcare industry. So that's that's one that we invested in recently and and feel real, you know, real excited about. That was during the pandemic. We've done a couple of others uh, during the pandemic also. Um, we've long been a player in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been very successful. As John kindly mentioned, we were investors in uh, Checkpoint at, at its very beginning. I, re- I, I remember well from yeah, and I continue to <laughs> alongside Shlomo Kramer and his uh, most recent company Cato, which also. Place to the pandemic, uh, Gato is a, a, a company that it really addresses the fact that the way that the networks ac- around the world were built in the past, uh, heavy on on um, uh, equipment, networking equipment, heavy on uh, uh, networking protocols that have changed over time. Uh, you know, Cato allows you to do all of what we're doing today around the world very inexpensively and yet be very secure at the same time. Was this at a, at a seed or a round stage or a little we, later? Or? We were we were the first um, you know institutional investor uh, alongside Aspect, uh, which is now A-Crew. So that was, a, that was a Series A and have been joined since then by uh, Greylock and, and Lightspeed, a uh, couple of you know, great partners with us and people we like to work with. The The investment that we did just recently was in Cyber Hunters, where my partner Jacques Benkowski sits on the board. And uh, uh, Cyber Hunters uh, is a company that is, or Cyber AI, as, as many know it as, uh, is a company that does uh, threat, extended threat detection and response. And what I mean by this is it allows you to do threat detection in a dynamic way, uh, in an autonomous way, you don't have to have all these scripts. You, uh, you know, it, it it figures out for itself what kind of threats you're seeing. And believe me, that's been an explosion uh, in uh, the, the, the since the pandemic hit. Another healthcare. It was also exploding because of 5G rollout, which just creates so many more devices on the uh, on the edge too. Correct. Absolutely, uh, and you know the the. Um, 5G really hasn't hit yet. It's been talked about uh, quite a bit. I know that, uh, you know, certainly Apple's depending on it uh, quite a bit. And it's going to dramatically change everyone's experience, uh, you know, on the Internet and and the way that they work with technology. What it's also going to mean, though, is that, uh, again, back to our earlier point, that some of, you know, the real big dogs are uh, going to have an opportunity to see some, you know, exciting new startup companies, you know, go after them. Uh, and even though, you know, much of infrastructure as it relates to equipment and semiconductors has not been uh, a sweet spot for a while for us because of the capital intensity, mm-hmm. many, uh, there, there's a, you know, there is so much capital now that's available both in venture from the seed stage uh, to the Series A to the later stage venture funds, but also private equity firms are getting involved. You're now seeing the rise of SPACs, uh, which is really just a, a, a way for large pools of capital, you know, to uh, to invest in in startup industries. Zero interest rates do pretty interesting things, don't? And they? then zero interest <laughs> rates help quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they make SPACs and, more and economic. Of, and, more like. and just the flood of liquidity that's coming, you know, from all of uh, the central banks around the world. And it's it's hard to see that changing, at least over the next couple of years. And we could have a different discussion about what it means. So, so floods of liquidity typically impact valuation. 
Uh, we've certainly seen valuation bifurcation of the public market. Are you seeing major changes in valuation in your markets since the, since March? And, and if so, is it altering the stage at which you're focusing? Well, we have seen valuations increasing now for the last few years. I mean, if you go and, and U.S. Venture Partners is primarily a Series A. We're not a seed investor, but we're primarily a Series A, which means from our definition, once there's a little bit of product market fit shown. Uh, and so valuations have uh, about doubled during the last two years and uh, from where they were before. Uh, in in the later rounds. In the Series A, they have gone up maybe about 50% or so. In the seed stage, it's been it's been flatter, which historically actually has been a pattern we've seen in in, in other uh, periods of crisis where the very, very early stage was hit the hardest. Uh, the later stages uh, didn't see the kind of valuation increase, but um, this time they are, and I think that that'll probably adjust. Um, I, I can't quite honestly, it follows public markets, all the, you know. Right. Yeah. Doubling sounds like a lot until you look at Amazon and Apple, right? Or, or Apple in particular, triple. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, going back to, uh, you know, the JP Morgan conference yesterday, Mike Millman put up a couple of slides, you know, in which he was showing that the, the market cap, uh, if you're talking about, for early for, for fast growing companies was now 20 times revenue on the recent IPOs and also on some of the recent public companies for companies that were growing well over 30 percent mm -hmm. and about 13 times revenue um, for companies that were growing between 20 and 30 percent. Those are astronomical. That used to be PEs. Well, again, it's what happens with zero interest rates. That terminal value in the future <laughs> doesn't get discounted so badly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly right. So it is, um, you know, it does have echoes of what we've what we've seen before. Uh, but I think the firms that have been around for a while and the and the partners that have been around for a while know how to manage through that. So what we've done is we've during this period we've raised a lot of capital for all of our early stage companies. When the comp when the when the money is available, we 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 take it mm -hmm. and we tell our companies rather than the traditional one to uh, one year to eighteen months, they better have money. For two years plus, so right. right. The worst thing to do is run out of money. Um, you never want you, to run out of money. <laughs> um, anything you're doing, your firm's doing that you would characterize as contrarian to your, uh, you know, college, that's that's. Uh, I would say this. I would say that if you if you look historically at venture capital, what has been contrarian uh, has been our commitment to some of the healthcare areas that venture capital have historically pulled back from a little bit. And that was particularly medical devices. Mm -hmm. And because medical devices were seen as, as firms that had to go through the, uh, you know, FDA. The FDA, cycle, yeah. FDA cycle, also had to have, and, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three clinicals, and were very expensive and very capital intensive with modest sized markets. Uh, but we've remained active investors in that space and, uh, you know, continue uh, to make investments in that. In fact, uh, you know, we made an investment in that space recently um, that was one called Carl's Med, uh, which my partners uh, have done, which is a, um, a patient specific, a design 
for a, a, a vertebral in, uh, vertebrae implant to solve for mm-hmm. ruptured discs and the like, but it's patient specific, you know? So you're putting together all the technology that allows you to, to build essentially a, a disc for a particular patient and put it in their bodies. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, many firms wouldn't have even touched in the past. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I tend to agree. A lot of firms have avoided the area because of the regulatory clearance, but devices tends to be uh, easier to clear the FDA on than therapeutics. They, and, yeah. um, it, it would appear to many that, but they have gross margin attached to them and distribution attached to them. That's a lot, a lot, lot more difficult than therapeutics and training. Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, therapeutic companies can be worth billions before they even have their, have their clearance or their approval rather, and uh, yeah. aren't being uh, sold at all. Uh, but the pandemic is clearly accelerating elements of, of uh, or the speed of approval. Uh, yeah. Do you think that is a secular trend or that is likely to, just be pandemic specific and we'll we'll see a reversion back to a little more of a, a slow paced regulatory clearance environment on both the devices and on therapeutics. You know, I, I would say that um, what we have learned from, uh, you know, past disruptions like this is there's no going back once there, you know, really is a change and a change that is merited because, you, you, you know, you have some reasons. And in this case, uh, the reasons are you have a lot better analytics. The hard part is still the onboarding for trials. I mean, we're seeing it today, but look at how fast, uh, you know, in, in, in COVID-19, we've been able to onboard, uh, you know, 30, 40,000 people or more for some of these trials. <clears throat> so I think we're, you know, because of the digitization, we're, we're learning how to identify, how to track those people, how to contact them and, and how to enroll them. And I, there's so much, uh, pressure to improve that cycle that I don't think we're, you know, I don't think we're going to go back. Now, it doesn't mean, though, that we're going to, um, you know, give up uh, protecting patients uh, by doing it properly. But I think that the way in which we process it and the way in which the FDA, FDA reviews and makes their approvals will accelerate. Plus, you have more involvement now from, uh, you know, competition from China, competition from uh, Europe. And I think that will only make things better from the point of view of putting some pressure and fire under uh, people's uh, seats here to get get stuff done. You, you, may, you may reference the capital intensity. I want to turn to a segment that I don't think your firm is, has been active in because of its capital intensity, which is uh, space commercialization. Yes. Um, and I think I explained to our viewers your own personal background early in your career. So, yeah, early in my career, I was a double E out of Stanford uh, back in my, uh, uh, you know, my passion. Uh, I had a lot of interest in space because my my father actually started a company that uh, made um, deep space antennas for tracking the early Apollo programs and uh, Mercury programs before that. And also, uh, you know, for intercontinental ballistic missiles coming down to Kwajalein. And then I worked at NASA. And uh, at, at NASA uh, in the uh, in the 70s, uh, that was the time when Viking was first uh, landing on Mars, and that was very exciting to watch. So I've always watched the space uh, area well, and I have personally gotten involved with a group uh, called B612 Foundation, which is uh, run by a former astronaut, Ed Liu, and, uh, and Rusty Schweikert helped to start it. And that tries to look for uh, large life-ending events from asteroids. And so they do some terrific work 
Uh, now, originally, they're going to put a, a bird into space that would uh, be a, a solar orbiting, uh, but now they're managing a lot of the data coming from smaller satellites. Uh, so, again, that was a that there was an idea that changed too. They originally felt that they had to put something up in space, and now they can use all these micro satellites that are being put up by uh, many venture back companies and uh, some of the really the best entrepreneurs we're seeing who share my passion for uh, for all things space. So you, do you, so you do believe this actually will be an area where we'll I, see more venture because capital intensity is declining? I do believe it's going to be an area uh, because the need for capital to do some of these things, especially when it comes to low Earth orbit and things around our planet, are, are becoming reachable uh, from the venture pool of capital that's available. Um, but and, and there's a lot more uh, you, you know, money that is available uh, in, in some of these areas that can take it all the way. And uh, again, you know, private equity firms, um, uh, you know, large defense contractors who are looking for other ways you know, to add to their business and public-private partnerships. So, you, but you do need a big fund. And our funds you know, tend to be in the $350, $400 million range, Series mm-hmm. A focus, because that's where you know, we're, we, we really think the, the best bang for the buck in our expertise is, and we, we like that space. But if you have a billion dollar fund or a multi-billion dollar fund, you know, heck, go for it. My hat's always off to my good friend, uh, Ira Aaron Price, who invested in Tesla, and then he followed up in SpaceX. And so I'll give him a tip of the hat to Ira. Uh, and he just has, you know, he, he just has the conviction and uh, the vision that uh, I'm a little, little reluctant to step out. My partners would probably whack me down as <laughs> on strategy, Steve, but uh, so, we do that all the time. I, want, I know we have about five, six minutes left. Yeah. We're going to a lightning round of questions. I want to sure. ask, pick up on what you just made about your firm. Your firm has stuck to its knitting. You're on, you're on fund number, what number is it now? 12. 12, right, as John said at the outset. Oh, hold on, my lights just went off on me. <laughs> okay. That's because my wife is putting these timers that if nobody is moving around and it's still nighttime out there, she wants to say anyway. So, so you stuck to your knitting. Um, yes. Many of your uh, colleagues, firms in the Valley have not. They've got bigger firms. They've set up all different size firms, stage firms. Why is that? It's obviously served you well, but that's, that's been a bit of a contrarian play in and of itself, correct? That's true. And uh, I think that comes from a couple of things. Uh, one is we do have a, from a strategy point of view, we think that, you know, good investing, good venture investing comes from investors who have been in the industry, who know the industries well, uh, that they're investing in and, uh, and, 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 and choosing opportunities that have a multi-decade capability to do well. Uh, and so I think we've been fortunate enough to pick areas in IT and 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 in healthcare that uh, really are you know multi generational actually in their in their appeal. Um, but we also uh, you know we did have larger funds back in the 2000 uh, period, and uh, both in terms of personnel and and also in size, we we were best investing basically in the same areas, but. You know that uh, we realize that it's very hard to do. You know, three, four times your money on 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 very large firms unless you have a very fortunate capital cycle and uh, right. market cycle playing with you. So, you know, when you we 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 know how to do what we do and we do it well, and we're very selective and very careful in uh, you know bringing on new partners and developing them. And uh, it's uh, you know it's it's we think that it you know works for us. 
Other people have done a wonderful job building large platforms and it works for them well. I mean, look at what the guys at Andreessen Horowitz, which I respect, who I respect a lot and Lightspeed and you know, NEA have done. NEA you know, was started at the same time that we were more or less and they've really developed a, a much more mm. multi, uh, you know, multi-asset category. But I think that um, you know, for us and uh, for our LPs, they know what they're getting when they invest with us, and they've had good returns for forty years now. So we're uh, you know, we so being early stage makes you particularly well. You're all all firms are dependent on the management teams, but you know, early stage maybe even more dependent. So how is your valuation of management teams and CEOs in particular had to change in our more virtual uh, environment now with Zoom and, and otherwise? Yeah, I would say that that is an area that we um, we feel very strongly about uh, in terms of sticking to our knitting, when, as you would put it, in terms of really wanting to sit down and get to know our teams and their ability to hire teams. So from that, what is what that has meant in terms of what has changed is we're we're leveraging even more some of the teams that we know personally or have close uh, relationships with, because it's despite the fact that this you know means of communication works okay, hiring a full management team over Zoom, you know people are still people. It's right. it's tough, uh, you know, to really get to know what's at the heart of a person's uh, you know core and identity you know, how uh, their, their their value system, how they think about people, how they think about hiring. And also management teams, you know, we we rely on them to hire uh, the, the teams mm-hmm. below them. And, you know, so we're relying more on people that we've seen that have done it successfully in the past uh, than perhaps, um, you know, some others who are willing to do the entire. We've done a few things entirely over Zoom, uh, but it's, it's, it's mostly... Uh, through relationships that we've already had or people that, you know, have uh, relationships with those people. So that's, that's changed a bit. And I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's probably going to remain the same for at least this investment cycle. So speaking in the last minute or two of getting to know someone better uh, for our, for our viewers to get you to know you better, just some quick lightning round questions, quick answers. Last book you read for fun. (laughs) The last, actually, I I don't, there were two that I just finished. One was um, a, it was Just Mercy, which is by Brian Stevenson. And during this period uh, that what's going on in this country and around the world, yeah. uh, I thought it was just a terrific book. He, uh, you know, is with the Equal Justice Initiative and it, right. it's well worth reading. And then one, my partner, Erwin uh, Fetterman and I both share a, um, a love of history. And years ago, I shared a, 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 a book on the war to end all wars. And he he followed up with a book called The Bridge on the Drina. That's probably one you've never heard of before. No, uh, no. That was by a, uh, a, a it was written right uh, uh, based on uh, by Ivo uh, Advik, who is a uh, former Yugoslavia ambassador to Germany. And it was about the decline of the Ottoman Empire in the Baltics. I have a real fan, uh, the Balkan uh, states, rather. I have a real uh, interest in. And so it was uh, written about the end of the Ottoman Empire and what happened in the Balkans. So speaking of history, most uh, uh, historical figure, uh, alive or deceased, you'd most want to have dinner with? (laughs) Boy, the uh, alive or deceased that I most want to have dinner with. I would say that, um, you know, that really 
it, especially at this moment in time, it would probably be Jefferson. And the reason is, I, I want to know what the hell he was thinking when he wrote the Constitution of the United States the way he did. There's a whole bunch of things he could have cleaned up. <laughs> and, and it, but, it, but I think he's a, he's a perfect example of an individual who you admire an incredible amount of what he did. And yet on the other side in his personal life and some of his thoughts, you think, how do did, how did, how did those two ideas exist in the same brain? Right. That's Here's a real quick one for you. What kind of smartphone do you use? I have an, an iPhone 11. Okay, 11. All right. Reason we are current. And yes. then finally, finally, uh, company in your portfolio most likely to become a household name. Uh, a household. I know name. you. I know you love. Yeah. So it's not like you don't. Not like you don't love all your children. But it's like a, a company. A company that most that, that's most likely. Uh, for, well, uh, I would say world I would change it a little differently. Okay. It would also become a household name in, in the world in, in, in which I travel because, again, I'm on the tech side. That would probably be Cato. I think has a chance to be a real uh, uh, leader and uh, ring the bell. Just for our viewers, again, des describe Cato again. You so Cato, Cato Networks, uh, founded by Shlomo Kramer, uh, who I've okay. invested with a number of times, and an Israeli entrepreneur who's probably been the best uh, uh, you know, security entrepreneur that I've I've known and watched, although, and there have been quite a few that we've invested in. Uh, what they do is they really manage uh, the change in the network uh, that you run over. Um, so uh, the entire software stack, it's um, is, is, is going to run uh, in, in, in their environment, and they're going to allow you to connect all of your devices, keep them secure, keep them well managed at a much lower price than you have done in the past. So I think that they have the ability to be the uh, the software and the backbone that runs all of what we think in the past of telecommunication systems, whether it be the AT&Ts of the world or the Comcast of the world. I think that the, the, the software and the architecture, they could be the, you know, the heartbeat of that. Terrific. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Steve. So you heard it here first, Cato. Um, to all of our viewers, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and Steve, you're really a great far ranging uh, discussion this morning. Um, I think I go back to you, John, to, to wrap it up. Thank you everybody for tuning in to today's SALT Talk. Uh, this is the first episode in our uh, pandemic venture innovation series. We're very excited about this partnership with our crowd, uh, one of the leaders in the uh, crowdfunding space for uh, venture investments. So we're very excited. Thank you also, Steve, for joining us. Uh, and we'll look forward to hopefully meeting you at one of our in-person conferences here in the near future. I appreciate that, John. I, I Again, I apologize uh, uh, for the coloration here because I am sitting here in the dark in California, and uh, this room just happens to have a very yellow light. Um, my son is just going to gag when he sees me uh, with the complexion that I have today, especially considering where we are right now in the election cycle. But I've really enjoyed it, and uh, we're, we're, you know, usvp.com. It's very easy to find us. And please reach out if you have any questions. And thanks for the follow-up. And I've very much enjoyed the partnership with, with our crowd. And, uh, and, and I, I thank Alex for leading me through this conversation and my good friend John Medved uh, for all of the support that he has given us and the exciting companies that uh, he started. I think it's a great idea. So yeah, no, our crowd.com, we currently probably have a dozen individual companies on the platform and always several funds as well. So uh, please uh, join if you haven't already. Thank you again, Steve and, and John. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Thank you. Good night. Have a great day, everyone. I can go back to sleep now. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right.